0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of our podcast. My name is Sean Woolley from Cloud9 Consulting. With me, as always, I have Mark Mark Stucklin Stucklin. from (laughs) Spanish Property Insight. And um, yeah, we had a sort of introductory episode about a month ago now, I think, Mark, where we just sort of set the tone for what we were trying to do and what we were trying to accomplish with this podcast, which is to use your grasp of the the data with all your years of experience and and the fact that you have become a, a renowned market commentator on the Spanish market and myself as the i don't know at, at the at the front of the uh the battleground if you like where i'm seeing cold face the cold, face. The, the cold, face, the that's cold it. face that's it where i'm seeing things on the ground and you know maybe there's uh there's some synergy there between what you're seeing what you're hearing and also what i'm seeing and hearing on the on, on the ground so that is the basis for our podcast hopefully between the two of us we can offer an informed and and educated commentary on what is happening uh in the market obviously we You know, we we can't uh, foresee the future, but we can certainly spot trends and patterns and maybe advise people on what may be coming down the track. But obviously, we aren't fortune tellers, unless you you are. You secretly haven't told me, Mark. Sadly Um, not, no. (laughs) So I think the first thing we should do to start episode two is to just cover some feedback that we had from episode one, which was, well you explain because it was one of your people who who follow
1: you wasn't it that that commented on the on the name that we had chosen yes so this was some uh a a email i got from a reader um and i might read it out in fact because it's it's quite instructive in 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 what it says it says dear mark we are and have been for a long time readers of your website having owned property in spain since 1982 that we don't like the name of the new podcast inside track because we like thousands of others who lost substantial sums of money to a company also called Inside Track that was pushing off plan investments in the boom years, working hand in glove with a company called Instant Access Properties. We spent 12 years in court thanks to the Inside Track and we are sure the name will open up old wounds for many people who invested with them and ended up bankrupt. Some even took their own lives as a result of their experience with Inside Track. It was a horrendous time for a lot of people, including us. And I thought it best to let you know what bad memories the name might trigger for many of your listeners. Well, obviously, with that in mind, I mean, I don't, you know, Inside Track and instant access properties, they ring a bell. Hmm. Uh, at least one of them does from that period of 2000 to 2007. Yeah. but really at its peak in sort of 2003-4-5. I definitely remember there's something there that rings a bell and you know obviously with we don't we got nothing uh, inside track I mean you came up with the name uh, and it 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 makes sense if you're talking about sort of a an inside angle the the inside track in English is an expression for something to it conveys a sense of getting a certain advantage from having a, a privilege hmm. of being on the inside and well, the wealth where two people from the industry talking about what's uh, discussing what's going on in the market with the benefit of an industry perspective. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, I'm, I, I like you, I, I didn't even think
0: about the, the connotations of the name until you, you received that email and you said to me, and, and that, like you, I thought, ah, oh, yeah, that does, that does ring a, a distant bell. Um, I don't know too much about it. Obviously, we both looked it up and and did our research. And obviously, it was um, a a you know an unhappy time for for a lot of people um, who invested in that in that scheme. So, you know, I think it's it, it did us uh, two things really. Firstly, is that yes, you know, we are going to change the name because the last thing we want to do is to is to trigger those those negative emotions, memories. Yeah. yeah, and those those memories. And also, you know, it gives us an opportunity to highlight the fact that not all is perfect in the world. You know, um, I myself, I've been stung by a a property scheme uh, in the recent past in Germany, and I've lost money because of that, and... You know, you feel you feel such a fool when it happens to you. You know, you think, oh, my God, how did I ever fall for this? And, and then you you end up on the email lists of, of people who have also fallen for it. And it kind of makes you feel a little bit better because mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of professional people in there, doctors, barristers, you know, and, and you think, OK, so it, it wasn't just me. But it, it it still leaves you with a with a nasty taste in the mouth. And um my only kind of words of advice on on things like this is it, it seems to me that the that the biggest problems in, in these schemes sometimes is when they're not physically attached to a property. So it goes into some sort of a fund which has responsibility for spending your money and they spend it on on stuff that you have kind of no real say in in terms of its due diligence and stuff like that I think I think when it's you as a person or as a group of people and you you do your due diligence and you investigate properties whether they're off plan or whether they're built as long as you do the the, the work that's that's required in terms of making sure that those properties are as safe as they can be in terms of investment, then then normally things can't go too wrong I mean obviously like any investment the value can go up and down but mm-hmm. I think Normally, the good thing about property is that it never goes down to zero, does it? So, if you invest Mm -hmm. 100,000 pounds or euros, you might see a fluctuation between, I don't know, 50,000 and 150,000, but you'll never see it come down to zero, which is what can happen in a lot of like equity markets.
1: Well, worse in the Bitcoin, the whole crypto, which we've been seeing unfolding, where 15 billion disappears. I mean, absolutely vaporizes. Like, turns out there was nothing, no value behind it whatsoever.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think I think what's happened in the Spanish market since those heady days of of the early 2000s, I think there's been a a degree of of common sense reappear in the market. And we've lost a lot of those speculative investors that we had. I know we touched on this in in our first episode, but we don't see people entering the market now to make a quick buck. We, those people just just aren't there. Of course, people are always looking to make money, but I think people now are looking at it as a as a medium to long term investment. They're not looking to flip properties. The, the conditions aren't there in the market mm-hmm. for them to do that anyway, because banks aren't lending to hundred percent anymore. It's it's so those those days have have gone. So that I think there's a lot more sense caution in the market than there were in those in those crazy days. So I'm you know
1: hopefully uh we, we won't see a repeat of, of what happened with those schemes no i think you know the market is completely different mm. that period which was insane was very was was um, supercharged yeah. with speculative credit and yeah. people were buying for all the wrong reasons and people were talking i mean this is one of the things that would was, was i think what happened with inside track and instant access properties and there was a, you know they were just one of I bet you we could have chosen a bunch of names that we would have had a similar resp- yeah, uh, yeah. a similar response. they were just one of the aggressive and hard sell players that were acting at that time who were feeding off it was it's in the context of what was going on at that time as well it was a there was a bubble uh, blowing up but not just in Spain it was going on it, look at me. we all saw it come crashing down with the subprime crisis in the u s It wasn't just in Spain but it just helped that uh, global context and that sense of what I think it was Greenspan talked about, irrational exuberance. That was really what was going on here, but that allowed some hard sell operations to sell on that and to talk it up and to aggressively really exaggerate the upsides, completely uh, minimise the risks and downsides and play on people's Wish to, you know, I mean, easy money is uh, everyone, well, not everyone, but it's it's uh, something that beckons, uh, it, it calls out to everyone. Would like to win the lottery, you know, um, and that though. So what was going on then is um, not possible in the in in today's environment. There's just the mm-hmm. conditions aren't there. But there was another thing that I wanted to mention, which is that this is something about, and maybe this happened to you in Germany. There's something about property investing across jurisdictions that means that it's easier for you to fall through the cracks. Yeah. Um, for you know what was going on back then would be hard sell operations based maybe on the Costa del Sol, run by you know not not uh, not necessarily Spanish people selling hard selling property investments to uh, English people or British people. Uh, in Bulgaria, yeah, um, you know, not just the. I mean, they, 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 they were in Cabo Verde, Bulgaria, yeah. and God knows where else. and yeah. Florida as well. And so, yes. you know, who, to which jurisdiction do you take your case when, when you, um, when you feel that you've been ripped off? And yeah, and you know, the, in Spain, they, they, the police. The, it was just a difficult case to make, and yeah. much easier for cross-border property sales organisations to good fly closer, you know, sell closer to the wind that they might might have done. Let's say selling off plan properties in Manchester to, to locals.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I, I don't know if it's an age thing with me, but I the more well the older I the older I get, the more skeptical the more skeptical I become of these get rich quick schemes. I mean, obviously we're all attracted to that because we all want to be successful, we all want to make money. But whenever I see something that says you know guaranteed rental returns of fifteen percent. In the past i would have gone wow amazing here's some money hmm. you know and now mm-hmm. i just think well that that can't possibly be true uh for a start so they're yeah. either you know i'm either subsidizing that return by paying an inflated price in the it's first Ponzi place.
1: scheme yeah
0: yeah or or, <laughs> or or you know this this thing is just going to fall on its face so
1: yeah
0: you know but I, I can imagine still a lot of people getting getting excited about things like that and and we have clients you know we obviously talk to clients about um, other things that they may be considering, not just property here in Spain. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I hear them going down that track. And I, I sometimes say to them, have you checked that out? You, because you don't want to see them, you know, see awful things happening to good people, really, which is... Sure, which
1: is absolutely. Awesome. I mean, I guess what it boils down to is when it comes to buy, investing in property uh, abroad, well, not in your local, you know, postcode, mm-hmm. caveat emptor is more important than ever. It's a, it's, there's a lot of money it, it, um, in play, and you have to do your own due diligence and yeah, take to make sure that you're, you're set that but of course what people thought they were doing due diligence back in those days but they were using lawyers that were recommended by the estate agents or in-house lawyers who weren't actually doing a due diligence they were just facilitating the sale yeah um so you know therefore the good advice is to find a lawyer uh, if you're going to buy a property in spain find a lawyer who is not I mean, I've seen lots of lawyers who are recommended by estate agents and developers doing a fantastic job.
0: Yes, exactly. But
1: but there is a potential for a conflict of interest there. So best to avoid that if you're just turning up without any prior knowledge or contacts or reasons to... trust uh, go with a lawyer that you're recommended by your estate agent It's best just to make a little bit of effort and find one that's got no no, that comes unconnected with no potential conflict of interest Um, I, i i totally agree with that the only
0: the only problem i find sometimes is when people go and find their own lawyer they don't do their research and they find a lawyer who either has no knowledge of the of the locality so mm-hmm. it doesn't understand the specifics around, say, the 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 Marbella planning, um what mm-hmm. you know, confusions and all those sorts of things. Or mm-hmm. well, they find a the lawyer who's just plain awful, as in mm-hmm. they just don't respond to emails or phone calls. And mm-hmm. and then you think, oh my god, you know, at least sometimes when you when they do take advantage of a, an estate agent's recommendation. As an estate agent, you can give the lawyer a bit of a kicking if you need to and say, come mm-hmm. on, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not like, oh, please get this case through and make sure the client thinks everything is lovely. No, no, no. But it's more a case of, come on, the clients are expecting an answer, get on with it, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, and it, probably another, another topic altogether, isn't it? But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there's definitely... Um, I think in some cases there's potential for conflict, but it's mm-hmm. just getting, that, getting the balance right, I think, which is
1: difficult. Absolutely. It all boils down to the the character of the people you're dealing with, in a way, because yeah. you can go and get, like, you said, like we've, you've just said, go and make the effort to find a lawyer who's completely unconnected, you know, find them a lawyer in, in Madrid who's yeah. got no conflict, but then does an appalling job and, uh, and, and, and mucks it up. And I have seen that happen, actually. Or, you know, use the local a lawyer recommended by the, your estate agent who does a brilliant job, really knows the case and is um, ethically uh, would not, uh, and also knows that the sale is clean. Hmm. Um, so like all things, but that said, it's to avoid conflicts of, it. Conflicts of interest or potential source of problems. So yeah, absolutely, uh, one way to avoid that is by finding a lawyer who is not beholden to your the people yeah. who are trying to sell to you for, for ongo- ongoing business. That said, that uh, uh, I bought a property uh, recently. Well, actually, now it's a year ago. My God, 2022 has just flashed by. It but has. Um, I didn't use a lawyer or anything. I mean, I, because I knew I just used the notary. I didn't, need yeah. a lo- I didn't need to do a due diligence. But that's because I knew everything there was to know about the property. Yeah,
0: and, that's, and I, that's the difference, isn't it? Because in in England you wouldn't have that protection from a notary. In Spain you do. The notary is there to yeah. make sure that everything is done fairly. You know, he or she will will sit down with you at completion and say, "Do you understand this? I'm going to go through the, the deeds. Anything mm-hmm. you're not sure of, let me know." And it's it's a it's quite a caring kind of process, really. So a lot of a lot of Spanish vendors and buyers they don't use lawyers. like sure. You know, like 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 you. Once you know the system and you're confident in the market and you know what you're doing then mm-hmm. yeah you know you you can you can um not get away with it, that's the wrong term but you can dispense with the services of a lawyer i think when you're buying from another country i think it's important and that that's another thing is we get sometimes we get for instance uk-based buyers who insist on using a uk lawyer uh, and we're <laughs> like okay yeah but all that uk lawyer is going to do is is sub it out to a lawyer in Spain just charge you of charge course. you a bit more for the privilege and and absolutely of, of course you don't like saying that to a client because it, you know you, you come out as a bit of a smart ass and you know why but it's yeah you always say oh God, but maybe I.
1: there's some clients that prefer it that you know they want they, they yeah. want to deal with their lawyer and leave it to their their lo- their their uh, lawyer that they've been dealing with forever and handles all their business to find a lawyer and spend t- and just manage the process for them yeah. Do you know what? There's
0: there's a lot to be it's said. Cost, about If it?
1: money doesn't matter, then then, you know, why not? Yeah, it's a it's a layer
0: of protection, I, I, I sure. guess. Um, so, Mark, you have chosen a name for our podcast. Um, so what is it?
1: I suggest that we call it La Piedra, uh, which actually my wife um, suggested, my wife, who is Spanish. And I was asking her for terms in Spanish that would be like Inside Track, that would give this sense that convey a sense of a sort of an advantage or a privilege of... Um, being on the inside and apparently there well according to her and she's pretty good plays a lot of word games and and so you know she said she couldn't think of anything at least that would that would have the same connotations as meaning as inside track so she suggested la piedra which is the stone the stone and in spanish you can also it also like ladrillo it's like bricks stone there's a kind of a real estate connotation there yeah yeah brilliant (laughs) well i'm so I'm that, happy It's with La Piedra that. Spanish property yeah. podcast. That's great, and hopefully until we so, until we get a <laughs> deluge of emails, I know,
0: complaining I know, we
1: will we'll, we'll put it out um, to you know we can brainstorm it. Um, yeah, but exactly. So now should we say provisionally? Yeah, let's for go the next, for it for the next let's month. It. it's called La Piedra.
0: It's, yeah, otherwise it's going to go untitled for months, isn't it? But let's. So that's I'm, I'm happy with that. So yeah. thank you to your wife. What's your wife's name? Maria. Maria. Thank you, Maria, for that. Lovely. Mm-hmm. That saves me a job because I was coming up with all sorts of really useless ideas. <laughs> you know, when your brain just, and I, I've had this, this issue as well for the last yes. week. So I, I broke my arm and yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, oh God. So I've, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Ooh. Right. So, well, let's get into the, into the meat of this in terms mm-hmm. of, yeah, you know, we thought we'd use this one because it's going to be the, the end of the year, uh, although mm-hmm. it's only episode two, we thought it would give us an opportunity to reflect on 2022 and see Mm. what's been happening where the demand has been coming from are there any patterns are there any types of buyers are there any demographics that we can tap into and and maybe say you know why certain people have been buying in certain places and is that likely to continue so over to you sir initially for Mm -hmm. some data if you have any on on what's been happening in the market
1: okay well focusing on um on foreign demand, I'll mm-hmm. just briefly say, because I don't think we, we, you know, there's too much, it's too big a market to talk about the whole market. So is, yeah. um, I'll just note that in the very latest data from the notaries, which was released uh day before yesterday, we can see that the overall demand has gone into, has, has fallen compared to last year in October. And this is the okay. first time there's been a decline, an annualized decline in overall demand since January 19, uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. So this big post-COVID boom has just has, has sort of, it looks like it's running out of steam, which was inevitable. It's not at all a bad sign. It it just yeah. means that it couldn't keep up that level of, it couldn't keep growing indefinitely. So, but now looking at that, and and so now let's turn more to the foreign demand sources of demand from abroad. Um, and there we have uh, the best numbers we have the from the notaries for the first half of the year so we're now in december it'll be interesting to see when their numbers are published in the in the first quarter of next year for the second half of what's been going on in the second half but the best mm-hmm. numbers we have uh, from the notaries are for the first half of the year and there we can see that in, in the first half of 20 of this year foreign demand it, it was there was seven, 73,000 buyers now that's just the bear, you know even compared to the boom year of two thousand and seven, there are only thirty three thousand. It's more than double. It's like it's been absolutely booming foreign demand uh, for property in Spain it was up fifty three percent in the in the first half, uh, whereas local demand was only up nine percent. So you can right. see that the foreign appetite for, to buy properties in Spain. Of of course, foreign demand is well. I mean the, that with that it's like it's twenty percent of the market now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. by Twenty percent of the market. Okay, but that that sector of the market
0: has, as you say, that's increased in the first half of, of, of this year. Do you think we are in? Obviously, bearing in mind what you just said about the October figures from the notaries, mm-hmm. how how much off were 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 those figures in October year on year? Did, did, did you, do you have a figure uh, for yeah, that or four, a percentage? Four, I, I think about four percent down. Okay, so uh, we're not talking massively. No, massive no, amounts, no. But we we guess. are noticing a a dip. So I'm I'm wondering whether we are when we do get all the figures for the whole year, and we look back at it, whether we are going to see a year of two halves, mm-hmm. um, where we have the the first half uh, maybe just tipping into July and August because obviously the summer months does attract a lot of people, and then we're going to see a a noticeable drop off of mm-hmm. demand from foreign buyers maybe in the last four or five months of the year. That's that would certainly um, fit in with what I'm seeing on the ground. The first half was incredibly busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a very busy 2021 and it just continued and continued. And mm-hmm. I said I said 12 months ago that I feel that we're satisfying that post-COVID Demand: People who couldn't get out, people who couldn't fly, people who couldn't get to get on with their lives. That, that would be the
1: the, the pent up demand. That was yes pent up from the lockdown and the travel restrictions, and they yep. man they planned to buy, but they couldn't. So now yep. that there was like the the, the boom as that pent up demand was un uh, was um, uh, unwound.
0: Yes, because the interesting thing for for us as a real estate agent,
1: um,
0: almost forgetting about clients at the moment, is that obviously. When things start happening like like we've seen in the last eighteen months, where there's a lot of activity, a lot of sales being generated, a lot of money being made in sales commissions, obviously it attracts a lot of new entrants into the market. And now, you know, even in Marbella, I think we have something like two thousand estate agents, which is just crazy I mean if you imagine if you imagine I mean I, I I know I mean I know the northwest of England if you imagine Liverpool mm-hmm. for instance if you imagine 2,000 estate agents in Liverpool it just wouldn't happen it just wouldn't mm-hmm. wouldn't happen um so we've got 2,000 estate agents in, Mar, mm-hmm. in in Marbella all kind of try. well not all but a lot of whom are recent entrants into the market who mm-hmm. are trying to jump on the bandwagon of of the success and the the activity my my concern now of course is if we get a, a even a slight drop-off in the market. What that means as far as market share is concerned is that all of our market share is diluted. Mm-hmm. And some of us have to go mm-hmm. because there simply isn't going to be, I mean, you know, the numbers might be 4% off, mm-hmm. but actually because there's 50% more agents, mm-hmm. those numbers for sure. are well off for, for, for all the agents. So it has that that massive kind of um, knock-on effect to mm-hmm. us as, as agents. There's too many of us to mm-hmm. service
1: even a slight decrease in demand—it's really interesting, isn't it? And that's bad for for the for for people for customers because it makes every you know it makes everyone more fighting harder. Yes. So that can be good, but it can also be uh, negative, as in more pushy and you know yeah. going pushing harder to to close sales out of desperation. Uh, absolutely. And I'm I was just
0: amazed, you know, recently we 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 were, were part of all these. Um, online uh, systems where we collaborate with other agents. So we all share portfolio and every day I'm seeing, you know, just new agents coming in, new agents coming in. And sometimes, you know, it's just a one man band uh, working Mm -hmm. from their their bedroom and there's nothing wrong with that. That's how I started. Mm -hmm. But you think, wow, you know, and those people are relying on maybe one or two deals a year, maybe big deals just to get Mm -hmm. by a bit of pocket money enough to live on. But of course the problem is if they're not doing one or two deals a year, where are they where are they heading what's going to happen so i think you know from an estate agent's point of view I, I think we are going to lose some um and that is based not on a not on a massive drop in the market even a 4% drop if we've if we've increased our competitor base by 30 40% as a 4% drop in the market that 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 has like a quite a serious impact on us so yeah watch out for a little bit of pain i think in the in the real estate market particularly in the in the overpopulated areas in terms of agents, but the interesting thing, like, like you said, is that uh, yeah, I think the first half was definitely booming, and the second half just feels like it's just tapered off. Uh, not, you know, we're still getting lots of inquiries, we're still getting lots of tours, we're still getting lots of of sales, but it just feels that the the madness in the market has finally subsided, which is what we predicted anyway.
1: Yeah, it was inevitable. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, and, and by the way, I mean after this call, I am going to go through the latest notary's numbers, and it wasn't four percent. If that's it, was a national average, but I think it was the worst. It was the biggest decline was in Catalonia, down about thirteen percent. I think the Balearic wow. Islands okay. was down eleven percent. Um, Valencian region up eight or nine percent um, in October. So it's not a it's. It, it, there's regional variations Andalusia was down but but not yeah. as bad as as Catalonia and the Balearics but like so four percent it might have been but then of course that's as an that's the overall market so it doesn't uh, that's not a focus on the foreign buyers who a lot of these agents you're talking about really folk they're their they're, yeah. they're reliance on that foreign market so uh, you know let's wait and see but I I would expect that the that that, that Increase in foreign demand couldn't carry on forever. It couldn't carry on increasing, and there was a would come in time. But also, the second half of the year is the quieter half, as as you know. Like the first half of the year is when all the people are interested and they inquire and they visit, and the second half is all about kind of closing the sales and putting it to bed and and after sales. Yeah. Um, so, but 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 it, it's interesting to. You know, I'd like to know what you think. Was So now we can see that there was this record level of sales in the first half for foreign Mm -hmm. buyers, reaching more than, who were more than 20%, up 53%, and now responsible for more than 20% of the market, led by, the British were still the biggest group, it's almost 8,000 buyers. Germany, uh, not far behind on 7,500. And, you know, the Dutch were the biggest, increased the most in the period, up 121%, followed by Norway, also big in their big increases came from Ireland, Denmark, Germany, USA, even the British, even the the UK was up 68% in the first Mm. half. I know we're comparing against 2021, where there was still disruption from COVID and and travel restrictions. But I'd be interested to say, well, you know, what do you think we don't know where it's going but what mm-hmm. was responsible what were the factors driving this record level of foreign demand for property in spain in the first half
0: i think it was the post covid
1: thing that mm-hmm. that whole um still pent up because that would be yeah uh, because so. the, the the first half of 2020 that's now more than 2 years ago that's mm-hmm. when the lockdowns and the serious restrictions were Yep. By first half twenty twenty one, there was very few travel restrictions, and really in Spain and Europe, you know, the 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 the, the pandemic was on its way out. People were already yep. moved yep. on. Now yep. in twenty twenty two, it's completely moved on. So you think there was still a quite a, enough to be um, to be because uh, I mean the growth is so dramatic that it can't just be <laughs> the pent up yep. demand. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I, I think that
0: that perhaps it was people who during the lockdown, during the pandemic, thought, I need to change my life. I need to do something. Mm -hmm. I need to to get a better quality of life for myself and my family. So I think some people acted on it straight away. Some people let it let it linger and some people moved moved later into in into the market. And I think that's what we that's what we were seeing. But I think it's a whole range of 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 different things. There was that, there was the the fact that the pandemic taught us all that it's possible to work from home.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it validated that model, didn't it? Yeah, uh, more ab- ab- than absolutely. Anything.
0: And that became a huge thing. And and interestingly, I was going to mention that certainly the first half of this year, we saw a lot of people with a lot of wealth still enter the market. We had the same last year, and we also had the same in 2020 when things were still restricted. We had a lot of multimillionaires buying property in Spain because they could. They were pretty much the only ones who could because they could do it from a distance they could do it Mm. virtually or Mm. they could jump on a private jet so Mm -hmm. we had quite a few of those i know that sounds a bit weird but we but we did and because we were having to change our business model in terms of you know video virtual viewings all those sorts of things so we were investing in photographers and videographers and god knows what to, to help us through that but i also think that that people have have realized that they can move their family they can move their office Mm -hmm. to the sunshine and the weather i'm sure you'll agree the weather in spain will always be the biggest the biggest draw the weather and the lifestyle Mm -hmm. the fact that it's so accessible to places so we've had a huge number the majority of our clients i would say who are swapping life in the uk ireland germany very strong Mm -hmm. market for us in the last year who've just had enough they've had enough of northern europe and they want to give their, themselves and their, cl- and their families a better lifestyle. They want to put the kids in a school where they have an international exposure. They want to be able to work from home, jump in the pool for a swim, have some tapas. And mm-hmm. if they need to head to a board meeting once a month, it's easy to do because you've got Malaga Airport just down the road. And I think that lifestyle appeals to a lot of people. Um, so it, it appeals to people who are Entrepreneurs, it appeals to people who are self-employed, and it also appeals to people who are quite high up the corporate ladder who don't necessarily need to be in an office every day. And so, I think that's that's what's driven the the demand from Northern Europe and the you know the the influx of of money that we've seen, particularly at the high end. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's because of that 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 lifestyle change. Well, you, are you're
1: definitely in the right place at Marbella. That's where you're going to see. Uh, it at its best, well at its most prominent, you know, if there are uh, wealthy people who could work from home and they'll be buying in places like Marbella and there's also, you know, you see it in Ibiza and um, and Mallorca yeah. and Barcelona. You probably don't see it so much in in Albox in Almeria sure, or sure. in you know um, in out of the way locations. Yeah. Um, so we had a def- flight
0: of yeah we had a flight of money come to us not to us, but (laughs) I wish, I wish. Next time, give me a call. (laughs) We had a flight of money coming to the Costa del Sol over the last 18 months. It's it's been really obvious. Um, A lot of people here with a lot of money who've bought big properties, lovely properties, to the point that we're kind of running out of stock uh, at the high end and agents and owners are almost being able to name their price. Having said that, We've noticed in the last month or so that that is just slightly changing. You know, we've seen a little price decrease on certain properties that were a little bit hopeful, and we've gone, yeah, 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 and now they're just coming off their their peak prices to a more realistic level. Uh, you know the one the prices that we I think we mentioned last night. Like, you know 20 million
1: just about. Mm-hmm. yeah the crazy prices yeah so maybe an inflection point is uh kind of end of year 2020 inflection point is what we've seen but yeah. you have gone past, you never really you know we're, it might turn out that we we've, we've just yeah. passed one um Absolutely. so apart from the co- kind of covid trends which are not just pent-up demand but the changes the way that the pandemic changed people's way of working and living and what they could and how they could see themselves doing that. Um, what about, for example, Ukraine? How, have you seen that? Um, I mean, when I look at the numbers, I see Poland, Bulgaria, obviously, Ukraine's up. Um, those that can get money up move. There's you know, been a dramatic increase in demand for uh, uh, buyers from countries around, uh, near Russia, let's say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we've seen. I mean, we haven't seen it so much, but I know because I think the reason being that we only advertise our, our properties in English. So I think people who have invested the time and money to advertise in in Polish and other Eastern European uh, native languages have seen a massive spike in in inquiries and sales. And the feedback I've had from people dealing with those clients is that they just want a safe bolt hole again for themselves and their family and their money, just in case. That that war becomes something uh, a little a little worse than it already is, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I it, it's difficult because a lot of people said, "Oh my god," you know, and we, and we do get those doom mongers, don't we? You probably find them as well, you know. Any little glitch in the world, it's like, "Oh my god," the property market's going to collapse, mm. and so we we you know we've had it for the last year. We've had oh, war in Ukraine. No one's going to buy property. Who want to buy property mm. while there's a war going on in Europe? Actually, a lot of people because they want to get away from the war. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah
1: it's... absolutely and if you look at i mean as in a as a bit of a parenthesis that you know spain's position for geopolitically it's it's very much uh kind of behind the pyrenees protected by the pyrenees so it's a bit like an island to the peninsula is like a massive island that's surrounded by sea yeah. and then it's got the pyrenees almost cutting it off from from mainland europe so those are very yeah. very good defenses and we have North African gas. We have a pipeline direct direct to North Africa, and Spain has the, the more uh, liquid LNG terminals in uh, than any other country in Europe. I mean, Germany's now having to build them fast, I gather, but Spain already had seven, I think, um, and the facilities to process that, and I, and of course the weather and it grows a lot of uh, food, and so I think. A, a lot of people just see Spain as, as a kind of a safe place um, far from the conflict and about as far from the conflict as you can get in, in, in um, Europe.
0: It's absolutely true. And I, I, I think also, you know, I've just been back to England uh, last week for a few days and it was a bit grim. You know, I I, I love England, mm-hmm. but I just get the feeling everyone's just <laughs> had enough, you know? And, you know, I, I was talking to, to, to family members about it and, they're trying to put a brave face on it but you know a lot of people said oh i bet i bet you know you don't have to pay as much for your energy bills over in spain do you and everyone's obsessed about turning the you know the heating on in england because mm-hmm. it's going to cost them 10 quid and you're like oh my god you know we don't even think about that in spain because obviously yeah, we've I'm, got the, the climate that helps
1: yeah yeah well i mean you're down in marbella here up here in barcelona and we just don't turn on the heating i mean <laughs> if, if, it, if it gets a bit cold for a few days just put on an extra jumper
0: I know. I mean, I just had an electricity bill, which is expensive. It's like 500 euros for the month. But I I heat a pool Mm -hmm. 24-7. It's a bit (laughs) self-indulgent, I know. But one of the reasons I bought my house... That's a luxury.
1: Yeah,
0: it's a luxury that at the moment I can afford. God, you know, touch wood. But... I, I, I just get the feeling that I don't know if it's it's synonymous around the whole of Europe or Northern Europe, but in England, everyone's just a bit fed up. They're a bit fed up of the politics. They're a bit fed up of the cost of living. They're a bit fed up of the strikes. They're a bit fed up of the weather. It's like, why are you there? Yeah, yeah. You know what you, you, do you know what I mean? And of course, Absolutely. people are there because they, they have to be there. But yeah. I think a lot of people, obviously not sub-500,000 euro budget. Uh, wise yeah. but people above that level are seriously considering is this the place I want my kids and my grandkids to grow up in mm. or is there a better life is there another way out there and you look at somewhere like Spain and Spain isn't perfect I'm sure you'll agree with me but you look at mm. somewhere like Spain and you think okay yeah you mm. know it's got a lot more going for it in terms of of the weather the, the, the politics is a little sort of um a little more stable should we say the cost of living isn't quite as much and so i think we're going to see more and more people making that move
1: i really do talking about the uk what about brexit i mean i've been i'm extraordinarily um, heartened by how how kind of deep the British love affair with Spanish property is that Brexit, they kind of brushed it off, just shrugged it off and carried on. I mean, I'd expected it to be kind of cataclysmic and fatal for British demand, but no, I mean, they're still, you know, I mean, like I said, they grew by um, 68% in the the first half, and they're still the biggest group uh, of uh, buyers by nationality. Um, They don't seem, their, their appetite is undiminished it's interesting isn't it and i want i would love to see the stats on the price breakdown
0: so mm-hmm. if there's been a knock mm. below 500,000 or whether because that's the key thing isn't it because above 500,000 pretty much you've got freedom of movement you know if you mm-hmm. get the golden visa or, or or some other visa then you've got freedom of movement so brexit doesn't yeah. really apply to you but under 500,000 you haven't got that freedom of movement and i just wonder whether those that portion of the market has been negatively or positively affected I suspect that it probably hasn't been shaken too much I suspect it's probably just dropped off a little but if I was to guess I would say yeah if people still want the holidays in Spain and if it means they just can't go exactly when they want then well they'll they'll
1: make do yeah well of course the above the 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 area of the market that's under 500,000 is sort of 95% of it um I mean it's you know the the above the the golden visa price cutoff is a very, is a really, you know, the pointy end of the, of yeah. the, of the, sure. of the market. So, um, and it's you, but you will see a disproportionate amount of it because you're in a Marbella uh, as li- likewise people who are in say Javier in the Costa Blanca and maybe in Valencia city, Barcelona, parts of the Costa Brava and the Balearics and Madrid. And that's about it, you know, I mean, yeah. Costa Blanca, the South Costa Blanca, that it's a, you know, Torre Vieja, and that kind of area. It's, it's, Sort of fifty grand, fifty thousand yeah. to one hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, and that's is, a big, is. big slice of the of the British market. I think I the also, British market uh, has a just quickly they have, but they're yeah. way way below like Germans and Danes, and Danes and Swedes on, on their average budgets.
0: Yes, you're you correct. I think it's also interesting that I, th- I think some people gonna say, are almost in denial about Brexit, that they just think, well it'll get sorted out we'll be able to come and go whenever we want it'll just happen and you think I mm, don't know I don't know if that's <laughs> going to happen or not you know And you don't want to you don't want to prick their bubble but actually you know there's this talk there's always rumors about the Spanish wanting to, to open do a deal yeah, yeah to do a deal but of course if the Spanish do a deal everybody else has to do a deal so it's like okay yeah uh, you know and even at the airport you know I go backwards and forwards quite a lot because I can you know I'm a I'm a, I'm a resident of, of, of Spain but you know, they're stamping my passports and I'm like, oh, you don't need to stamp my passport. And, you know, they're obviously, you know, I would imagine that if you're not allowed to come and go whenever you want, that one day they're going to look at you and go, well, hang on a minute. You've overstayed you're your welcome here, mate. You know, and mm-hmm. and, and, and there's already yeah. reports of a few people that that's happened to. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I hope they get it sorted out. It just seems so pointless. And mm. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure people will guess where I stand on Brexit, but it just seems such a pointless exercise.
1: But anyway. Yeah, well, it is what it is. I mean, it, it, it is just—I yeah. mean, regardless of whether uh, it's just, it is a fact. And so we just have, like, in all things in life, whether you like it or not, and whether it's a, a good, good news or bad news, you have to make the most of it. You have, you have to make the best of it. Because yeah, of, you do, you do.
0: What one thing you mentioned earlier that I, I thought was also interesting. What I'm noticing, and this, I don't know if this is a more Marbella, Costa del Sol thing than than the whole of Spain, as a brand, as a as a destination, we are becoming. More global, uh, with with more of a global reach. So yes, Northern Europe I would imagine is still the the, the primary source mm. of buyers and investors, but certainly in the last twelve to eighteen months we've seen a huge increase in our North American buyers, so US and Canada, uh, and we've also seen people from the Middle East, people from the Far East. So we're becoming this this global destination, and I think certainly what's what's helped with the American market is the fact that. Marbella brands itself as the California of Europe and of course most Americans they love
1: California and but they <laughs> well not so many I mean a, 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 a shrinking number actually but anyway yeah. yes I get, yeah. your, I get yeah. your point
0: and uh, certainly the American clients that we've had um have all been they love Florida through...
1: you could Spain could love... always choose it with is it Florida or, or California yeah you know a, a, the exactly Florida think... of Europe the California of Europe both were, were used yeah, interchangeably they, they...
0: They, they, they both work. And I think mm. the, the people who've come over here to see us have all said the same thing that this place reminds them of California with regards to the landscape and the, the, um, you know, the topic topography of the place, um, but it's safe. And the one thing we get from the Americans is they want to send their kids to a school and not have armed security on the gates. Mm. You know, yeah. they want to, they, they want to be able to take their kids down the promenade let them run wild. Let them have a, a a great time, and not worry about someone coming along. Yeah, and...
1: I think this is a massive advantage of Spain because um, I can't imagine living like that. My, you know, my children go to a local school mm-hmm. here, and that's you never worry about your children's safety. Mm-hmm. i have never; it's never crossed my mind. But I gather that in the United States, I mean, not only from the kind of these mass shootings they seem to have with um, depressing frequency in schools, just on a whole range of sort of um fronts it seems like the, the it, it's cause for concern in, in in american schools so you can see why if they come out to move to marbella and send them to one of the i mean not only do they learn a new la- an extra language which is great and spanish is a very useful language in the world today but it's done in a completely safe environment and that's a big big selling point
0: exactly and i think a lot of americans like the idea of a european base because everything is so much closer than it is in the states if you know, they can pop to italy in 2 hours they can pop to london in 2 hours wow you know that's that's quite a draw for a lot of americans open minded americans and also of course the the uh, exchange rate has been massively in their favor in the last year so i think a lot of people have taken advantage of that and um, secured a euro asset with dollars uh, because it's been a, it's been a great time to do that so we've i think the biggest change for us apart from the the noticeable increase of high net worth buyers is our American buyer market. We used to do maybe one or two a year, and we went through a phase over the late summer. Everyone was American. It was just like I think we did six or seven in a row, all Americans, and it was like, wow, wow, this is a this is a thing that's happening, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you know um, the best numbers I have suggest that some forty percent of American demand ends up in your neck of the woods. Um, no. so you are getting, you know, almost the lion's share of it, of, uh, almost That's a majority of a, a, a you know, like the more than half the market. That's interesting. Mm. Um, for American buyers, because, you know, Marbella has got international brand recognition, like you say, the similarities with California, the good, the good transport, I mean, you know, there's not many buying in Castilla Mancha or even Galicia. Um, so. And it's between Marbella, Andalusia, but predominantly Malaga province and almost certainly focused around Marbella, maybe a bit in Sotogrande as well. And Barcelona, the, those are the two big hubs for, for, for American demand. I totally agree.
0: Yeah, the, the Americans like to be nearer an historic city don't they they always like to have that bit of culture and and history nearby that's what i find anyway it's like you know where do i go for culture and it's like okay well certainly not not my bear but you go to malaga and you know and i would imagine it's the same in barcelona for them
1: also the, the, that will be you know a big culture spot means um, good uh, airport access yeah of course and, and of like course. you know they can now do this work from her work from work from spain and continue with clients in the us it's sort of uninterrupted i think interest rates were bound to have, and, and the changing, the kind of quite dramatic change in the interest rate environment in, 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 in Europe, well, in, in the world, but this yep. year, since, I mean, since January, interest rates have been, uh, Euribor, which is the, the base, the rate used for most Spanish mortgages, has just been going up and up. And so I think that uh, everyone could see it coming. Um uh, it's not like it took it certainly didn't take me by surprise, and I'm no you know monetary genius you know i I also I took out a, the biggest possible mortgage I could at fixed rates um, uh, at a fixed rate last December. Mm-hmm. and I'm happy to say I did that because then I saw you know interest rates just go up uh, up and up and up. Yeah. and I think a lot of people also saw the same thing, and so people are trying to get in front, ahead of the curve. Yeah, um, absolutely. Before interest rates went up any further, they're still actually quite low by historical standards. Very Um, much
0: so. And and, and this is the thing about, it depends on what type of of buyer you have. A cautious buyer is always going to find a reason not to buy. And particularly when it's a second home, which they don't need to buy anyway, they'll always be looking for objections. They'll always be looking for a way not to buy it. And of course, this is the perfect scenario for them because they just say, well interest rates have gone up so i'm not going to buy and you think yeah but hang on and this is where you get the the more considered buyer a more maybe experienced buyer who will say ah oh, but okay they've gone up but they're still at a historically low level and it's something that i can deal with you know and this is the difference in in the buyer types that we come across um you know those who are realistic who accept that yeah things have changed but it's still still relatively low and then those who will just use that as the reason not to buy. I mean, we spotted this a few months ago, and this may be the reason why things are just starting to taper off a little bit towards the end of the year, is that we have got a few headwinds in our faces at the moment. We have got rising interest rates, and we've got a a cost of living crisis. We have got an energy crisis. We have got a war in Europe. So we've got a lot of things that are against us. You could argue, why would anyone in their right mind, want to go and buy a second home in in Spain. But then you have the other things that we've already talked about, the quality of life, the safety, the, you know, and it's, I think at the moment it's like a, it's like a, a tug of war between the two for a lot of people, uh, particularly a lot of people who, who are sitting on the fence, who don't necessarily need to buy, but would like to buy. It's just like, Oh, is it the right time? Am I doing the right thing? Do I really need this?
1: Um, so, yeah, I think we're
0: seeing a little bit of that at the moment, which is maybe just weakening the
1: market a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, at this time of the, I mean, end of the year, I always, in, in January, I'll do a review of the headwinds and tailwinds because I think right. it's a very yeah. good metaphor for um, for understanding the the, the pressures on the, the the forces that push the market forward or hold it back. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned a bunch of them. We have talked about 2022. How do you see 2023? Are you optimistic about it or... Cautious or deeply glum?
0: (laughs) I am between cautious and optimistic, I would say. I think what we're going to see is we're going to see the people who really do want to make a move or make an investment here, they will continue to do that. Um, I think we are going to see a little drop off in prices that need to be corrected in certain areas. But I don't think people should expect a fire sale because we don't have any of those underlying conditions in place. When there was the previous fire sale, which was the start of the, of the financial crisis, in, and, the, and some clients are already starting to to try and make comparisons and say, "Oh, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for the market to come down 40 percent." And you're like, "There's nothing. There's nothing of any evidence that's showing us that's going to happen because you know there isn't there isn't a problem with the supply of money.
1: Banks are still lending." People, you know, there's this high employment. Okay. To... Oh, by the way, by the way, just an inside. that's a parenthesis there. Banks are still lending, but I don't know if you've noticed the government has put the uh, the banks in under pressure now to give people, well, it's all vulnerable families and vulnerable borrowers, but basically, you know, who's vulnerable? People who can't pay back the mortgage. Um, and so they are, uh, they're, they're, they're there's a deal been done with the banks to give mortgage holidays and other things to make it easier to cope with the in- increasing interest rates. But I mean, and that's great for the families who were, were you know, were struggling to pay the mortgage and might not be uh, might not be, you know, evicted for and the properties foreclosed. But of course, it comes at a cost. I mean, banks aren't just going to, you know, suck up that cost. They're going to pass it on to others. And one of the ways they're going to do it is by not lending to. It's going to make it. It's going to make banks it's like if you can see that you if you lend someone who then struggles to pay the mortgage because interest rates go up they're going to be you're going to have to rather than just do what you what has been done since time immemorial since mortgages first started which is you know uh can't pay the mortgage Well, i'm sorry you'll have to you'll have to leave and repossess and sell the property there was always some 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 margin for negotiations but um if this is going to mean that banks are going to be even more cautious about lending to people who might not be able to repay the mortgage. And, you know, I I think that's, that's healthy.
0: I think that's, that's good because obviously what we don't want to happen is we don't want to see foreclosures. We don't want to see stress in the market. Um, So if it means that the
1: people who are buying are the people who can afford to buy, then great. Also, I think it would make banks more interested in second home buyers because there's nobody who's a second home buyer that's going to get any uh, breaks or any, um, you know, special treatment from the Spanish government. It's going to be, no, no, you have to repay or you lose your property. Absolutely.
0: Uh, but, you know, it, it does frustrate me, Mark, when people do compare it to 2008, um, because the conditions are, they're just not alike in any way. And I think actually what's what's moving it even further is the fact that, like I said earlier, people are now, or or certainly the driving force behind most people's decision-making is they want a better quality of life for themselves and their families. And that is post, that's as a result of the COVID thing and what it taught us. And, you know, so I I think that people who come to me and say, oh, I'm going to wait for the market to collapse. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, whatever, you know, but what I will say is that, yes, I, I think, for previously overpriced properties and we all know what i'm referring to when when you know basically prices that were just invented by estate agents in collaboration with some but that's more if
1: i'm not correct me if i'm wrong but that's more of a problem at the at the high end
0: isn't it yeah it is it is and you know and, and also like any market it's the same in london or dublin or stockholm it doesn't matter where you are there are going to be pockets in that market where demand is going to outstrip supply and in those cases you're always going to pay top dollar. And, and that is just the way of the world. So for instance, you look at like my Golden Mile, we have a string of clients waiting to invest in one or two developments. You can't get hold of stock. And those clients know that when stock becomes available, it's going to be on the pricier side because the sellers have control of that market. And there's nothing we can do to change that. That is just basic economics. Whereas there are some areas, perhaps out in the sticks a little bit, where there's probably going to be a little bit more supply a little less demand and prices there may, may take a little tweak, but people have to understand that there are markets within markets. So people talk about Spain. And then of course, there's the domestic market in Spain. There's the, the, you know, international buyer market in Spain, second home market, and then there's all the different regions and, Oh my God. And you know you can't just sort of tar the whole thing with the same brush. It, it's it, no, are segments. Different, different things. It's, yeah, absolutely.
1: And some segments are very small, but they are very, very, you know, distinct segments and they operate according to their own rules. Yeah. Yeah. What what about you? What are your feelings for the year ahead? I'm always gloomy, Sean. <laughs> um I what does that this bit out? <laughs> um, I, I I'm not, you know, I'm not expecting I think there'll be there, there won't be the growth that we saw this year. So, by just by its nature, by its inevitability of of the growth petering out, that's going to be. You could interpret it that all oh, um, Spain's heading downwards, but it's not heading downwards. It's just settling down. Yeah. Um, Mike, the question is, will it settle down or actually decline? As in, people will stop buying. Uh, you know, there'll be a, a, a res- like a, a recession in the in the in the market. So buyers not. Not get not there, um, or in or in re, you know reduced numbers rather than just the growth um, settling down. Um, there, I think, um, I think because of the the in the same way that you talked about the pent up demand boosting uh, boosting uh, demand. Um, I think what we're going to see is I think the interest rates that's been this sort of brought forward, sales brought forward, which is going to depress demand in the first half of this year to, to, to a significant, to a noticeable degree, mainly for the local market, but, some, but also maybe for foreign buyers. I think, but there, I don't see anything, I don't see any reason out there to be worried about a crash or a bubble. There's certainly, we're certainly nowhere near bubble land in the, the in the maybe at the very high end in some but that doesn't affect people really that's no. just a bit very very niche market in the main in the main market in the kind of middle market in the low down market and the lower it's a, there's no no sense of a bubble whatsoever uh there's no building bubble in fact spain's uh, housing starts are declining and are near historic lows Spain is not building anywhere near as much as it should, given the size of the population, the age of the housing stock, and other factors. And the reason why it isn't building is because, to a certain extent, government government policy—government policies discouraging new building, which is actually creates housing shortage. Um, Rental uh, policies also. There's a lot of problem with. I have a big problem with a lot of the the regional and uh, national, regional government policies, which I think are just like unhelpful. I I mean, but they will—they will discourage. Um, housing investment; they will discourage investment in housing, build, house building, and and increasing the quality and, and quantity of the rental market, which will favour incumbents. People who already have a property will see that it, it's, it puts that's what I would call like a it's a puts price uh, upward pressure on prices slightly artificially.
0: That's interesting because also I've, I've spoken to a few developers recently, um, a few builders who are. Just taking a little bit of a pause because the cost of building
1: is so expensive now. You know, that's so another they, thing, you know, you know the so materials. They,
0: and labor. Yeah, so so they went into fixed price contracts 12 months ago with with developers, and now they're backing out of them because they can't deliver. They're actually making no money out of it. So I think that's caused a bit of pain in the in the new build uh, yeah. market as well. And obviously that's uh, that's a result of inflationary um, pressures. Well, you which know,
1: it's becoming so- a difficult to build to to be a developer or a builder and make money um, because. Transaction costs are so high, uh, red tape costs are so high, building material costs of it have gone up, um, uh, not just the cost, but also the actual d- d- availability. Um, all of these things um, tie the hands of developers. And so, you know, why, why, right now, why bother? I mean, you might not, you might not make any, and it, now if the government imposes something like a 30% social housing quota on developers, except like, forget it. it would yeah, be absolutely. Absolutely,
0: no, yeah. No point, no point at all. The other thing that I, I, I agree with you, I don't think we're going to see a, a recession or anything like that. But I think what, like I mentioned earlier in this in this episode, I think a lot of agents are going to feel a bit of pain. Um, so just to pluck a figure out the yeah, air, so say we had 100,000 buyers in Marbella um, serviced by 1,000 agents. If that dips to, say, 90,000, still a sizable number. So not a huge, a, a 10% drop off in numbers, but we have 2,000 agents trying to service them. Then you've got a then you've got a, a bit of a crisis for the agents not the not the market but for the agents and I think if we do see any pain um it'll be as a result of 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 agents maybe going by the wayside and I hope people don't don't take that as as a signal that the market's in trouble because it's just to me it's a signal that there's just too many agents you know that have jumped on the back of this of this little mini boom we've had over the last two years so yeah be interested to see how that how that pans out
1: yeah, yeah, but so you know, I don't see reasons for a bursting bubble scenario or a crash scenario. or Anything, just I see, but plenty. But I, there's definitely some headwinds, and it's important headwinds. But there's still some good tailwinds. So overall, I guess I expect 2023 will kind of be a uh, post-boom settling down. Neither maybe a bit, maybe uh, all in for the year. A decline in sales. Um, I'm talking overall, I, I'm not talking about foreign demand because they're, we'll see have to wait. I really want to wait and see what, what, you know, they always surprise me. That's like, for example, we talked about the British still buying after Brexit and all the other things that I'm always surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, so I, I, but overall I would say, I think that 2023 is going to be a kind of a quiet, calm, a bit of a decline after the boom.
0: Yeah. And that's, that would be fine. And I think that's Absolutely. probably what we, what we need. It's just a little, a little leveling off, take a little bit of the excitement out of the market that we've had in the last two years.
1: Yeah. Um, and I'd I'll be, never I'd forget in 20, in 2007, 2008, when it was like well, the insanity of the bubble that a expected bubble that was clear for all to see, but nobody wanted to see it. Um and I remember the uh, uh, you know reading the, the Spanish press with constantly articles. Oh, the soft landing, the soft landing. And I reading an, an article in the Economist. Oh, yeah, there'll be a soft landing in the Spanish. <laughs> there wasn't a soft landing at all. Uh-huh. It was an absolute. Desert. It was a. It was like a collapse. Yeah, um, that's right. And, but this time around. so you know, are we just saying, telling ourselves what we want to hear? It's soft landing, soft landing. Cut. But but I don't see where. I don't see the big threat like there was obviously then where they were building more than Germany, France and Italy combined. And, um, you know, there was uh, sales, housing starts were, you know, 800,000. They're now going to be 70,000. Oh, and by the way, and, and and borrowing, the leverage was much higher than it was, like, average, I think, 70% yeah. of sales involved in yeah. mortgage financing. Now, less, on average, less than 50% do.
0: And that, that so, makes a big difference. That makes a big difference. And I, I think in 2008, it felt to me like the taps were just turned off. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a gradual decline or a soft landing at all. Just nobody had any money. Yeah, <laughs> the,
1: banks, but, the banks didn't have any. But the banks, 2008, they got scared. They saw what was coming. So they just pulled the plug on everyone. And lots of very viable uh, projects that were not in any way—they just—they they, they the the, pull, the plug was pulled on them. That this actually made it worse. There was no sort of there was no discernment about where to pull the plug.
0: And then everybody panicked. Every you know everybody, every business, every consumer panicked, and everyone just—it was a fire sale. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I can't see those same the same things applying. I hope people have found it useful to get our our opinion on what's been happening over the over the last, well, 11, 12 months, and our mm-hmm. thoughts on what may be on the horizon next year. And, mm-hmm. um, Mark, it's been a pleasure, as always, and I look forward to recording the next uh, the next podcast episode with you in the new year, a new year, absolutely. a new uh, yeah, absolutely. So, in the meantime, have a lovely Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoy as best you can, and yeah. I will see you on the other side, sir.
1: Yes, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all the best for twenty-three to you and to all of our, to our growing army of listeners. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> Keep them at bay. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Mark. Okay, take care. Bye.